Chapter Sixteen of Molly Brown's Sophomore Days by Nell Speed. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Debbie R. Baker Robinson. Christmas Eve Plots. Molly was not sorry to spend Christmas in Wellington this year. Numbers of invitations had come to her, but even Mary Stewart could not tempt her away from Queen's Cottage. Otoyo and I shan't be lonesome, she said. We have a lot of work to do before the mid-year exams, and by the time you come back, Otoyo's adverbs are going to modify verbs, adjectives, and other adverbs. You'll see, she assured her friends cheerfully. And when the last trainload pulled out of Wellington and she trudged back along the deserted avenue, there was a strange gladness in her heart. I'm not homesick and I'm not lonesome, she said to herself. I'm just happy. Except for Otoyo's lessons, I'm going to give myself a holiday. I'm going to read. Poetry, lots of it, all I want, and to sit in the library and think. I'm going to take long walks alone. It will be like seeing the last of a dear friend, because Wellington will not be Wellington to me when I am installed at O'Reilly's. Hardly half a dozen girls remained at college that Christmas, and Molly was glad that she knew them only by sight. She was almost glad that the doctor and Mrs. McLean had taken Andy south. She could not explain this unusual lack of sociability on her part, but she did not want to be asked anywhere. It was a pleasure to sit with Otoyo at one end of the long table in Queen's dining room and talk about the good times they had been having. As for the future, Molly hung a thick veil between these quiet days and the days to come. Through it dimly, she could see the bare little room at O'Reilly's sometimes, but whenever this vision rose in her mind, she resolutely began to think of something else. It would be time enough to look it in the face at the end of the semester when she must break the news to Nance and Judy and pack her things for the move. Most of the girls had left on Saturday, and it seemed to Molly that Sunday was the quietest day of her whole life. Scarcely a dozen persons appeared at the chapel for Vespers, and the responses had to be spoken, the choir having departed for the holidays. Monday was Christmas Eve, and on that morning Mrs. Murphy, kind, good-natured soul that she was, carried Molly's breakfast to her room with a pile of letters from home. Molly read them while she drank her coffee, and saw plainly through their thinly-veiled attempts at cheerfulness. It was evident that her family's fortunes were at a low ebb. Her mother was glad that Miss Walker had arranged for her to stay at college, and she hoped Molly would be happy in her new quarters. Molly finished her dressing. If only I could do something, she said to herself fiercely as she pinned on the blue tam, buttoned up her sweater, and started out for a walk. Otoyo, that model of industry, was deep in her lessons as Molly passed her door. I'll be back for lunch, Otoyo, she called as she hurried downstairs. She had no sooner left the house than Queen's Cottage became the scene of the most surprising activities. Little Otoyo leaped to her feet as if she had unexpectedly sat on a hornet's nest and trotted downstairs as fast as her diminutive legs could carry her. Mrs. Murphy, I'm ready, she called. There was no telling what plot they were hatching, these two souls from nations as widely different as night from day. Boxes were pulled from mysterious closets. Mrs. Murphy and one of the maids emerged from the cellar with their arms full of greens and, stranger still, the dignified professor of English literature actually made his appearance at the kitchen door with a big market basket on one arm and, 
but what the professor carried under the other arm had been carefully concealed with wrapping paper these things he deposited with mrs murphy it's a pleasant sight surely to see you this christmas eve morning professor exclaimed the irish woman you're as ruddy as a hollyberry sir and no mistake well mrs murphy i'm a christmas green you know answered the professor and mrs murphy laughed like a child over the little joke as for the young japanese lady she is that busy sir you would never expect a haythen born to take on so about the birthday of our blessed lord but she's half a catholic already sir and she's bought a holy candle to burn to-night you're a good woman mrs murphy said the professor standing beside the well-laden kitchen table and whatever she learns from you will do her good too she's a long way from home and i have no doubt she'll be very thankful for a little mothering poor child indeed and she is as cheerful as the day is long sir and so is the other young lady and she's used to a deal of rejoicing in her family too i can tell by the way she loves the entertaining her company never goes away hungry and thirsty sir it's tea and cake always and more besides have you a little spare room in your oven so that i can bake some muffins for some friends this morning mrs murphy she'll say of a sunday she's that hospitable and kind sir there's nobody like her in queens i'd be sorry ever to lose her should you call her hair red mrs murphy asked the professor irrelevantly it's more red than anything else sir especially when the weather's damp and what color should you say her eyes were mrs murphy and you've not seen her eyes surely sir if you can be asking me that question there is blue as blue sir like the skies in summer the professor blinked his own brown eyes very thoughtfully well good day mrs murphy i must be off do you think you and miss sen together can manage things we can surely said mrs murphy she's as neat and quick a little body as i've seen the side of the atlantic my sister gets here at noon good day and the professor was off around the house and across the campus before mrs murphy could take breath to continue her conversation in the meantime molly was hastening through the pine woods to a grove where she had once seen some holly bushes in the pocket of her sweater were a pair of scissors and a penknife we must have a little holiday decoration otoyo and i she said to herself and it's lots nicer to gather it than buy it at the grocery store i suppose my box from home will reach here tonight i'll ask mr and mrs murphy up tomorrow and give a party there'll be turkey in it of course and plum cake and blackberry cordial it won't be such a bad christmas mr and mrs murphy are dears i must do up their presents this afternoon i hope otoya will like the little book she'll be interested to know that professor green wrote it as she hurried along breathing in the frosty air like pilgrim she spied a figure a great way off coming toward her another leftover she thought and went on her way her steps keeping time to a poem she was repeating out loud st agnes's eve ah bitter chill it was the owl for all his feathers was a cold the hare limped trembling through the frozen grass and silence was the flock in woolly fold molly had just repeated the last line over too absorbed to notice the advancing figure through the pine trees except subconsciously to see that it was a girl ah here's the holly she exclaimed numb were the beadsman's fingers she knelt on the frozen ground and began cutting off branches with a penknife i suppose you are rather surprised to see me aren't you molly looked up it was judith blount why where did you come from judith she asked didn't she go up to new york friday after all i was supposed to but i didn't 
i am staying down in the village at the inn i may go this afternoon i haven't decided yet to tell the truth i am not very anxious to see my family papa isn't at home and richard and mamma are rather gloomy company i think i'd rather spend christmas almost anywhere than with them this year but your mother judith exclaimed molly shocked at judith's lack of feeling doesn't she need you now more than ever why demanded judith suspiciously what do you know of my affairs i happen to know a great deal answered molly since they have a good deal to do with my own affairs why what do you mean now judith went on molly this is christmas and we won't quarrel about our misfortunes whatever mine are it's not your fault i'm gathering some holly to decorate for otoyo and me won't you help me no thanks answered the other coldly i don't feel much like christmas this year she burst out after a pause i'm seeing my last of college now unless i choose to stay under certain conditions and i won't i won't she repeated stamping her foot fiercely on the frozen earth which gave out a rhythmic sound under the blow queen's is bad enough but if i am to descend to a room over the post office after the semester i'd i'd rather die she added furiously we're in the same box thought molly i can appreciate how she feels poor soul i was just about as bad myself at first do you blame me went on the unhappy judith through no fault of mine i've had troubles heaped on me all winter first one and then another i have had to suffer for another person's sins to be crushed into a nobody taken from my rightful place and shoved off first into one miserable little hole and then another i tell you i don't think it's fair it's unkind it's cruel molly was not accustomed to hear people pity themselves she had been brought up to regard it as an evidence of cowardice and low breeding i've just about made up my mind continued judith to chuck the whole thing and go on the stage i can sing and dance and i believe i could get into almost any chorus richard of course wouldn't hear of my taking part in his new opera and he could arrange it just as easily as not but he doesn't approve and neither does mamma but it would be less humiliating than this she pointed to wellington but judith it would be a great deal more humiliating ejaculated molly you would be fussed with and scolded and you'd hear horrid language and live in wretched hotels and boarding houses a great deal worse than the rooms over the post office it was very little molly knew about chorus girl life but that little she now turned to good account you would have to travel a lot on smoky uncomfortable trains and stay up late at night whether you wanted to or not you wouldn't be treated like a lady she added innocently and you'd have to cover your face with grease and paint every night i don't care answered judith anything would be better than being banished from wellington and living in a room next to that talkative little southern girl who does laundry work judith exclaimed molly i'm being banished from wellington too i've taken a room at o'reilly's i've been through all the misery you're going through and i know what you are suffering i was almost at the point of going home once but judith don't you see that it's rather cowardly to enjoy prosperity and the good things that come in time of peace and then run away when the real fight begins and it wouldn't do any good either it would only make other people suffer and would be much worse off ourselves don't you think judith blount b a would be a more important person than judith blount chorus girl judith began picking the leaves off a piece of holly almost everything she did was destructive 
I suppose you're right, she said at last. Mama and Richard would have a fit, and the chorus girl role wouldn't suit me either. I'm too high-tempered, and I can't stand criticism. But you're going to O'Reilly's? That puts a new face on it. I'll change to O'Reilly's, too. Molly groaned inwardly. She would almost rather live next to a talking machine than a firebrand. They aren't such bad rooms, she said quietly. When we get our things in, they'll be quite nice. And now I'll hurry on, continued Judith, utterly absorbed in her own affairs. I think I will take the train to New York this afternoon. I suppose it would be rather cowardly to leave Mama and Richard alone this Christmas especially. Goodbye, she held out her hand. What are your plans? Are you going to do anything tonight to celebrate? No, answered Molly, shaking Judith's hand with as much cordiality as she could muster. Just go to bed. I thought perhaps you had formed some scheme of entertainment with my cousins. You mean the Greens? I didn't know they were here. I don't know that they are here either. They have been careful to keep their plans from me. Molly ignored this implication. I hope you'll enjoy your Christmas, Judith, she said. Perhaps something will turn up. Something will have to turn up after next year, exclaimed Judith, for I have made up my mind to one thing. I shall never work for a living. And she strode off through the pine woods with her chin in the air, as if she were defying all the powers in heaven to make her change this resolution. Molly shivered as she knelt to clip the holly. She seemed to see a picture of a tiny little Judith standing in the middle of a vast, endless plain, raging and shaking her fists at, what, the empty air, she sighed. I don't suppose I could ever make her understand that she'd be lots happier if she'd just let go and stop thinking that God has a grudge against her. End of chapter 16